to Think Like a Dog podcast, where we explore dog behavior and psychology-based training to help your dog achieve their full potential. All right, welcome back. <laughs> I was going to take over, and I'm okay. going to right now. Welcome back to, to Think Like a Dog podcast. Uh, we have a very different setup today, uh, and we have actually been trying to figure this setup out for about an hour. So um, That's we've true, been talking yeah. for about an hour. So I don't know exactly what kind of information that you are going to receive today because um, this technology stuff is not our forte at all. We've had trying. every problem we're you trying. could even think of. Well, we're trying and finally we got to the point where it appears to be recording. So we are hoping this episode is going to come out. Um, <laughs> but our whole goal with this is to be able to bring in uh, virtual consultations. Millie can, can bring in clients and that way you guys can listen in and, you know, just refer to their issues, see how that can help you. And if also you're interested in that, message us if you want if you are okay with being um doing a virtual consult for the podcast where you would be shown your video would be shown um you would talk about your dog and your issues if that's something that you would enjoy doing um and want our advice please message us email us um, and let us know because when we're ready for that we'll want to have let us know what kind of issues you're having too um but we'll want to we'll want to know who who wants to do it yeah. And I think that would be a great way to connect with different people and for also to get, you know, just real life issues here that we can talk about and discuss and different people can also connect with you on that. Um, and then our other goal would be also to get different trainers um, from that have different perspectives from different parts of the country. So if you're a trainer and you would like to come on, you can also email us and we will work on connecting with you via email and try to set up a recording. But for today, because this is kind of like a test run for our virtual <laughs> setup. So if you watch us on YouTube, you're going to notice this looks a little bit different. If you're listening in, hopefully it doesn't sound too different. But for today, we are going to go through some questions and um, get through some, you know, questions that we haven't had a chance to get through yet. Um, so these have been sent before and we're going to work on answering those today. And when I meant we, I mean... I mean, really. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we'll start off with this question here. Um, hello from Australia. I am so happy I found your podcast. I love learning about dog psychology and how I can further enrich my dog's lives and make them feel understood. So thank you guys for that. My question is about pack hierarchy and how back, middle, front of the pack behavioral pack dogs, behavioral issues, unbalanced dogs may differ. Are back of the pack more sensitive dogs and the only ones who typically show signs of behavioral issues such as reactivity? What behavioral issues do you see in middle and front of pack dogs? If any, thanks so much. You guys are great. And I can't wait to learn more. Brooke. Thank you, I Brooke. love this question. Love, love, love. I love talking about pack positions. I know we've um, talked about having a whole episode on it at one point, but we just haven't yet. Um, so you are, Brooke was her name? Brooke. Brooke. Okay. Brooke is correct in the, in the fact of most of the reactivity that I see it happens with back of the pack dogs. Most, not all of, all, not all of it by any means. 
the back of the pack dogs are normally their, their job. And I think I've gone over this in a question and answer before their job is to alert the pack to potential threats. So yes, they are absolutely way more sensitive. They're going to pick up on little energy shifts, sounds, everything. Um, so they are going to, I mean, because of their job description, literally be more reactive because they have, they are, they're aware of more right now. The reason that we have a lot of reactivity in our back of the pack dogs, or that's it's most commonly seen with them, is because back of the pack dogs require front of the pack to be to be balanced, right? To to feel safe. So they are not, they should not be, they don't feel good about being in charge of direction and protection, which is our front of the pack dogs. So if back of the pack dogs have an owner who isn't necessarily stepping up to lead or doesn't know how most of the time to lead. Um, that's where we start seeing a lot of reactivity because we get our human and our dog kind of signals crossed there and we comfort and we, you know, um, we do a lot of reinforcing behaviors that we actually don't like. Um, and then we have, we create a dog who doesn't necessarily feel like we are a strong leader, that we are someone good to follow. So yes, that is something I majority of the time see in back of the pack dogs. Now I will see reactivity sometimes in middle of the pack dogs. Most of the time though, so our middle of the pack is kind of like our glue, right? So that's our, um, our dogs who are just I mean, most of the time they're what we think of as dogs, happy-go-lucky and life is a party and um, not a care in the world. They kind of keep the front of the pack a little less serious, like, hey, come play with me. Back of the pack a little bit like less worried, come play with me, right? Uh, and they're the communication center uh, between both of them. Now, middle of the pack, when they... Um, when, when you get a middle of the pack dog into a home and you don't have a lot of rules and boundaries for that dog. And then all of a sudden you call me or a trainer out and that trainer starts telling you how to give rules and boundaries. Sometimes middle of the pack dogs can get real frustrated uh, and that can cause reactivity, but it's not necessarily, I mean, that's more just frustration leading to a bite. That's a dog who's used to being able to do whatever they want. And then all of a sudden something changes um, or now you have to put your foot down about something and they're going to have a big feeling about it. I really don't see a lot of behavioral issues. I very rarely see, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a front of the pack dog uh, for a behavioral issue. If you hear that barking in the background, I'm very sorry. I am at the center <laughs> right now. So day camp is going uh, in another room. Um, and it sounds like something, uh, somebody's partying in there, but they should be on it. <laughs> well, and I have several dogs and I feel like all of my dogs, I have a front of the pack, middle of the pack, back of the pack dogs in my pack. And I feel like it, you know, it really helps us understand their personalities. Cause when yeah. I finally realized, you know, the pack, uh, principles and how it works and how, the dogs are, um, that helped me understand how their personalities are as well. Yeah. Uh, would you say that two dogs, like two front of the pack dogs or two middle of the pack dogs, like can those dogs coexist without any issues at, like in terms of, you know, if you're not offering a lot of structure, do you really see two dogs in the same pack position are those the dogs that typically get into it? That's a really good question. Because I would say, like, for my example, Kane, right? Is Kane... Kane's back of the pack. Back of the pack in bubbles. 
Okay. Weirdly enough, I literally just this morning, cause your dogs are with me at the center. <laughs> um, and I have, I have Kane, Max and Bubbles. Right. I took videos of the different responses that they get and the different ways that they enter the pack this morning. Um, and I was going to post them later today. Cause when bubbles walks in, he's very like, everyone come to me and bow down. And like, yeah. you know, he, and he attracts dogs. Right? right. I feel like with bubbles confidence level and how he really does not care about much, he is front of the pack. The problem is, is that bubbles when he, I mean, Bubbles was put into a pack, and this is I'm I'm treading lightly here. Bubbles <laughs> Bubbles was put into a pack that was already unbalanced, right? Yeah. So the reactivity that we saw, don't get me wrong, he way overcorrected with both times. Um, but both of those times, Bubbles was giving a correction, quote unquote, to an unbalanced energy or an unbalanced dog in that moment. So I think if we had to put, I think Bubbles is more middle front. Um, Max is, I mean, smack dab in the middle. <laughs> um, he is like the like quintessential middle of the pack dog. Max thinks nothing is serious. <laughs> That's um, yeah, he's not afraid of anything. He's not nervous about much. Um, but I mean, he's also very willing to, uh, follow. Right. right. Uh, and then Kane is very sensitive, very sensitive. Now, yes. when we first started working together, you thought Kane was front of the pack because you said Kane doesn't care about much, right? Mm -hmm. But that's because you had made your lives and Kane's life only really revolve around things that we know that he doesn't care about. So a lot of times, and that's the reason I really like having dogs um, now that we have the center, because I didn't, um, about a year and a half ago, I was just doing in-home sessions. But when I have a dog like Kane, who maybe at the house would be very front of the pack, but when you bring him here, his true colors show, right? Because yeah. we tend to do our kind of, if our dog doesn't like something or if we get a negative response from our dog about, about something, um, we tend to not make them have to be around it. Most people don't consistently put their dogs in new situations. I mean, that's just, most people can't, they just don't have the time of day. Um, but that's where you find out who they are, right? What's their natural response to something new? It's not what their natural response is to the things that they know. It's what about these new things? How do they feel about things when, um, when there's chaos, when there's excitement, when there's, um, you know, a lot going on, when there's something different, when there's something new, you can't judge what your dog's pack position is based on how your, your day to day. It's about how they respond to the new things. And when we have fosters sign up for our programs that we do, and I love the fact that Millie just worked really hard putting together a foster orientation. So our fosters that was so can, fun. <laughs> and I love very it fun for me. It really, I bet it was. <laughs> She's not joking, you guys. She loves things. Like that was really fun for me. Um, but the orientation packet talks about how to help your dog, your foster dog go through different situations, just put them in different environments so we can learn more about them. So, because if they stay with you in your house, in that comfort zone, when we are talking about them, make them adoptable, are we going to know if they're good with cats? Are we going right. to know if they're good with kids? Are we going to know if they're good with lots of people? Um, and giving them out in different environments will help you understand their pack position too. So it directly ties in with that because then you can read more into it. 
And the more you understand about your dog's pack position, it helps you also understand what kind of training do they need? Because what do they need from you? Yeah. What they need from you. Yeah. Because I feel like if you are working with a, with a trainer and they're not really taking into consideration your dog's pack position, they're not giving your dog what they need. And that is really what hit, you know, hit it for us is that when you started talking about pack positions, it allowed me to understand more about their personalities because the way I was looking at Kane, I thought confident, you know, calm, cool, collected, cool, collected, totally different when you said, well, actually he's nervous guy. He stays, he shuts down. Yeah. That's his coping mechanism. he, He shuts down. So when I, what I thought was calm and collected was him shutting down. Well, and also you, I mean, as I started telling you this, you started telling me more things about, oh yeah, we used to have, he used to go after other dogs at the dog park or, oh yeah, yeah, like we used to actually have a lot of reactivity with this. Um, you know, when we used to put him in different situations, but because we saw that we stopped doing it. So then that's why we assume he is this cool, calm, collected guy when he's not, um, at least not in new situations. Everyone's cool, calm, collected when they're around the things that they're familiar with. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't think I answered your first question about if you have two front of the pack dogs or two back of the pack or whatever. I think two front of the pack dogs, I would probably most likely assume um, that they are not going to care at all about each other. So um, they are really not going to have much to do with each other whatsoever. Um, They're more going to just like, it's not going to be like they're going to hate each other. They're just going to be really aloof around each other. Two middle of the pack dogs. (laughs) I get, that's a lot. That happens to me a lot. Like when people adopt a happy-go-lucky dog and then they have another happy-go-lucky dog or that, you know, they find another dog that their dog loves and they just constantly play together. That is where you, you struggle to have, um, relevancy. So that's where a lot of times you'll have two dogs that will really kind of attach to each other or you, that's where working off of like recall off of each other or how to be calm in the same room. That's those are the exercises and the drills that I would do with that Two back of the pack dogs. I, I mean, you can see fights, you can see them totally being fine. You can see one um, being kind of pushed to the front because they feel like they have to take charge. Now, if you've got two back of the pack dogs, but you provide your dog's rules and boundaries and structure, you're not gonna have a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, it all starts with, with the structure and that's what we always talk about in this podcast is providing structure for your dogs and what a big difference that makes. But the pack positions doesn't necessarily put your dog in a box either. That's not what we're saying. It's not mm-hmm. like if they're front of the pack, this is how they are. If they're middle of the pack, this is how they are. I mean, we just talked about bubbles. He's kind of like in between, you know, and same. A- I mean, Kemper is too. Yeah. Uh, and- I also have this theory I talk with my, um, my friend Bria, who is an amazing trainer in Boston. We talk about, what front of the pack, middle of the pack and back of the pack would mean to a dog, like a feral dog. Right. And is that the same, is it, is it fair to hold them to the same rules of what, like, of what that would be in a human world. Right. So like Kemper with other dogs is very front of the pack. He's very cool, calm, collected, but he will give rules and boundaries, provide protection direction with human things though. Right. With the vacuum, with things that they just don't have in their natural world. He's a scaredy cat. He's a giant baby. But when he's around something that he understands and he knows and that's instinctual to him, very front of the pack. So, I mean, I look at it more as a job description than anything else. Just 
um, what, what they need for me. Exactly. Like what you said, said before, if I know their pack position or if I can kind of guess, or if I even care about their pack position, now I am trying to look to see what is it that that dog needs from me? You know, this dog, I'm trying to learn this dog as an individual. Yeah, for sure. And now with this other question, it talks about what do you look for when it comes to healthy play between dogs? That's a good question. Um, I've posted some stories on this before. I need to do more because everyone always asks um, a lot of good questions about play. First thing I would look for is that kind of like my overall thing would be is that there's a conversation happening and that both sides are able to speak and giving the other side room to speak, not like bark, but like physically there is a give and take there. A lot of times that looks like, you know, if another dog is getting tense, if another dog is um, getting tired or giving like a little tiny correction, that other dog is moving, maybe not stopping playing, but the other dog is at least kind of taking it slower, moving back a little bit. Um, more like standard things. I'm looking for a lot of space between the dogs. I really don't like rough housing. Like they're on top of each other all the time, unless the, you know, unless there's breaks in, in the, in, in between. So they can kind of come together and wrestle, but I want there to be moments for breathing because a lot of times that's where fights happen is if they're just on top of each other and there's no breaks. Um, I'm looking for it to not be crazy intense. Like I don't love that. I don't love when dogs get zoomies. Um, I don't know that that is the healthiest thing in the world, especially if it's happening on a daily or every other day basis or every time that this dog is around other dog. What does zoomies actually mean? If so, if a dog is getting zoomies, like, can you give like a brief overview of what that could be. Zoomies are frantic energy, right? So it's just a dog going like buck wild. Um, and most of the time, I mean, that is where bubbles went after Kane, um, because it was just uncontrollable, complete frantic energy. Um, it looks happy and there are happy zoomies. There are like what we call like kind of, well, not what we call, but more like balanced zoomies, zoomies that are just a happy dog playing in a field. And that's more like a bouncy dog. Kemper gets the zoomies every once in a while, the type of zoomies that I don't like. And that's where he like tucks tail and just takes off. And most of the time, if he is in a pack of dogs, he gets corrected by that pack of dogs. The other dogs don't like it. It's just chaotic energy. Um, but I mean, I think there, I mean, you could have two dogs that like to play like that and that's still healthy. I mean, it's still good socialization because maybe not good socialization. It's a healthy conversation, right? I, it doesn't bother me if there's two dogs that like to play at that level, as long as they are listening to each other and as long as they are listening to their human, right. Or they're capable of listening to their human in that that intensity level. I have a problem if one dog is wanting to play a certain way, the other dog is saying no, and then the human tries to step in and the dogs don't care. That's where fights happen. So I'm looking for a lot of space. I don't like sparring and that's where they're both on their back legs. Um, I don't like when dogs bite and hold. Uh, Kemper does that a lot. It's kind of a pity thing where they sort of bite and hold and it's a play thing. It never bothers the other dog. It just bothers me. Um, I've never seen another dog <laughs> the other day, Luke, my husband told me that he looked out the window and saw Kemper carrying brick by his collar. <laughs> uh, and brick was just having a blast, just going for a little ride. So, um, it's really more about 
you're, you're kind of the referee in that situation. So you're looking at how do both of these dogs feel about what's going on right now? It's not, you're not siding with anybody. You're not going, well, my dog just wants to play. If the other dog doesn't and your dog won't stop, your dog is in the wrong in that moment. Yeah. And that also helps the dog understand that you're there to advocate for them, right? So they're looking at you for information. They understand you're there to advocate and that kind of ties back into your relationship with them, even if that, Absolutely. at that moment while they're playing with another dog. Uh, so another question we have is new baby has caused increasing separation anxiety, not listening and following me around. What should I do? I think we got this question a very long time ago and I feel bad because they probably needed uh, some help a while ago. Um, Okay. So I think we've said this in the kids and, and dogs episodes. So if you are pregnant or, um, know somebody who's pregnant, send them that kids and dogs episode. My kind of go-to rule <clears throat> when you are expecting a baby is that by the time the baby gets there, n- the only thing that is different in your dog's life is that is the actual baby. Okay. Which means all of the rules and boundaries that you are inevitably going to have to give because you, especially if you have a large breed dog or even a small breed who barks a lot or something like that, you're going to have to give different rules and boundaries when you have a new baby than before. You just are. You're going to have to have them maybe sleep in the crate or sleep outside the room. They can't sleep in the bed if the baby's kind of near them or whatever, right? Maybe not on the furniture, but a lot of people will wait until the actual baby comes home to start giving these rules and boundaries. And then one, you're doing that most of the time with a, a huge lack of sleep um, because you are, you know, you have a newborn baby. And two, you are doing that um, sometimes with the, and that can cause a lot of frustration and anger at the dogs. And two, you've not taught the dogs anything different. So now you're expecting something right uh, out of the dogs. You're expecting these dogs to just understand you need something different when they are also adjusting to a new baby. So I know this really was, doesn't really help her, her question right now, um, which I'll get into. But if you are pregnant, even if you just found out you're pregnant, now is where you need to start kind of upping the structure. Even if you're not worried about anything, you know, your dog loves babies or is really respectful and you have all that the, I mean, the increased level of structure is going to provide your dog an increased level of support. And as much as this is a, could be like a, maybe a scary or an exciting or just a big deal to the human, it's going to be like that for the dog. It's going to be a a process for the dog. So the more structure you can offer, the more support they're going to have. Now, let's say you didn't do this Um, or maybe she did do this, but the dog is still struggling. And we have one of our dogs, um, literally this morning that they, um, said the same thing to us and they just had a baby creating them more often during the day. So even when you're home, um, asking for more space, upping your place work, um, teaching, uh, spatial pressure and the go commands. So asking like moving into your dog and asking them to move away from you or give you space, Um, but place and crate are going to be your big ones. And I would definitely do both of those. Obviously you need to do place when you're home, but crate when you're home. Okay. Awesome. And now with also giving structure, you talk a lot about not letting the dog into the baby's room Mm -hmm. and that we had that in a previous episode where we talk about kids and dogs, but, um, I saw you also working with a client and that was one of the things, one of the drills you guys were working through as you're preparing for 
the baby is teaching the dog how to not go into the baby's room unless they're invited. And that kind of plays into adding the structure, adding the boundaries, plus a, you know, just a way for you to be, have a precautionary measure, because like you said, there's always going to be something out in the baby's room. Well, precautionary measure for your dog and for your baby on top of the last thing that you want is your dog to feel responsible for your baby. That's your baby, right? So I don't want a dog to feel responsible for my baby, not just because I don't want to put that on them, right? But also because I don't want to create a, um, a behavioral issue later on down the line where now my dog thinks that it knows better than, than me for my baby. Maybe I can't get close to my baby. Maybe when, you know, grandma comes over, they can't get close to the baby because the dog now believes since it's had access to this baby space, whenever it wants that they own the baby, they, that's their baby. You want to make sure that you, you are having conversation after conversation with your dog, not in English, but like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, about how that is not their responsibility. They get to just chill out and relax. They don't have to worry about being a mom. Yeah. And you know, we talk about a a lot about having conversations with your dogs and having a conversation with, with your dogs. After I started working with Millie, she's kind of taught me, you know, and, and helped me understand what that means is, Every time your dog is, you know, like, for example, a lot of times I have my little dogs kind of put their paws on my lap. And if I rub their head and give them that affection right there, that's a conversation I'm having. If your dog is barking or lunging at someone and you're trying to pet them and calm them down that way, that's a conversation you're having. So, or if you come and meet the new Husky puppy that we have for a foster and maybe you're in the lobby and you're letting it jump all over you and you think maybe Millie isn't watching and the cameras from upstairs, that's a conversation too. And and Millie is always watching. I'm always watching. I'm everywhere. (laughs) Uh, but that's, these are conversations that you have with your dogs and it's kind of, you know, it's creating your relationship. So example, I saw one of our best chance dogs, Sandy, the other day. And as soon as she saw me, she like put her paws on me and she she recognized me. me and she's like, and I'm like petting her and just giving her all this attention. Thankfully she's a very balanced dog. She's a very balanced dog, but that's a conversation you're having right there is just kind of telling them like, oh, this is okay. I accept this. You know, you're doing the right thing. And when we're working with our foster dogs, a lot of times that's not a behavior we want to encourage because you don't know where they're going to go, if they're going to have kids in their new home, if they're going to have people, you know, that can't really, if they're a big dog, they, we have to be careful. So especially going back to the foster orientation, that, that was one of the big things that you've, that you've talked about is, you know, making sure that the conversations you're having with, especially with your fosters is productive and it's clear and it's not confusing. And the conversations aren't just always about, you know, you're not always telling, you're not always accidentally reinforcing something that you don't want. Right. A lot of times it's helpful to remember that, when you are interacting with your dog, every interaction that you're having with your dog is a conversation. It's helpful to remember and like put English words, at least for yourself to that conversation. Let's say for this moment, you are a new mom. And I can't imagine like when I have kids, there has to be some level of guilt that you can't 
offer your dogs the same time that you did before. So maybe the time that you're spending with them, you're trying to like give them as much affection as possible, or you're trying to include them in everything because you feel bad that things have changed for them. Right. I can't, I mean, at least that's how I would feel right now in that moment for me, I hope that I kind of sit there and I go, okay, what's the conversation I'm having right now? If I am trying to include them in everything and if I'm not giving them rules and boundaries, I'm telling them that I am no longer someone they can rely on. And in this moment where something's changed for them, they need somebody to rely on, right? They need somebody to look to for direction. If I'm letting them have access to my baby whenever they want, I'm telling them that this baby is theirs and their responsibility and not something that I I am in charge of, right? Rather than if I'm telling them to go and move away from my baby, that little part of me is going to feel guilty. It just is. You know, I feel bad that they're going through a change. They didn't ask for this. You know, this isn't something that they understand fully. I'm going to feel a little bad about that. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a human and I love my dogs. But I, the reason that I still give rules and boundaries is because I look at it as a conversation. And what I'm saying in that moment is I've got this. I've got this. You don't have to worry. Go and lay down. I've, I'm still who I am, right? Even if I've had a baby, even if this thing has changed, I still have your back. You go relax. So putting words to it and like, what are you trying to say in this moment helps you work through those feelings that cause us sometimes to not give the rules and boundaries that we should in moments that our, do- that our dogs really need them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And now, Another question, this one is also interesting. Why are dogs reactive to some dogs and not others? I mean, I, I, I think a lot of times, this is a good question because I think it seems very general, but it's not. Um, I think a lot of times people will come in to the center for working with a dog reactive dog. Um, and they'll go, I'm pretty sure it's just male dogs. I'm pretty sure it's, or it's like, you know, if, especially if it's human reactive, I'm pretty sure it's just, um, you know, men, or if they're wearing a hat or sunglasses, or if the dog is little or big or whatever. Right. I look at it as I've met plenty of people that I just didn't like. You know, I mean, they weren't doing anything awful. It's just, we did not work together. Um, or the way that we lived our lives were just, just so different, um, that we couldn't find anything in common. And then I've met other people who the moment I met them, I knew they were going to be in my life forever. Easton was one of those. We talk about that all the time. We like both left our first session of like, I want to be friends with that girl. So I think, I think for dogs, it can be the same. They're allowed to have likes and dislikes. Now, a lot of times we think that it's a past experience. Sometimes it is. Um, a lot of times we think that it's um, our dog saying, you know, we trust our dog's judgment more than we trust our own. So if our dog doesn't like somebody, we go, oh, they must be a bad guy. Um, rather than our dog just maybe having a bad day or maybe our dog is reacting to something or maybe we didn't offer the support that they need to know that they are actually safe. Um, I think sometimes in those moments we give a little bit too much credit to our dogs of, well, if they didn't like them, they're a bad person. There's plenty of dogs that have walked into the center and not liked me, but that's most of the time why they're here because uh, they just don't like people. <laughs> but some dogs just don't jive with other dogs. There are dogs that I, um, that will like board at my house that Kemper has known since he was a puppy that I will not let out in the yard together with Kemper, not, I mean, and, and not be out there just because 
not because any either any of them they don't do anything wrong it's just they don't jive right it's just they're either too similar they're too different and then there's other dogs that just kind of fit like a puzzle piece with him it's just i mean just like humans we're all different yeah and if you're offering your dog that structure and guidance and everything that we typically talk about and have them look for you at, at you for direction yeah then you're also you know even if they don't like that other dog you're not worried that they're going to start just up and fighting another dog right. because they don't like them. Right. right. That's, that was not meant to validate. Good point. That was <laughs> not meant to validate. Like if your dog is reactive to another dog, let them be. That is definitely not what I meant. <laughs> I meant, uh, you know, they are allowed. We don't have to kind of get to the root of that sometimes. I mean, yeah. it's kind of fun to think about. It's kind of fun to figure out why, you know, why does bubbles not like this dog or why does Kemper not get along with this dog? Um, but for me, it's more about regardless of if you love them or you hate them, you still need to look to me for how we're going to respond in this right. moment. Right. And that goes back also to different environments. And we talked about that in the, in one of the last episodes, you don't have to like doing mm -hmm. something, but you do have to, I have, you, you have to be able to do it, you know? Yeah. So if, it's like your prereqs in, in college or something, or like your core classes where you, it wasn't in your major. You didn't, you weren't planning on doing it forever, but you had to do it to graduate. So right. you should have to be able to do it. Yes. And that's what we always talk about is if you create a good relationship with your dog, if you have trust, if you have connection, then they will be able to walk through a crowd of humans. They might right. not like it, but they will be able to because you guys have a connection and you have a bond and they look at you for information. So that's what we always hit on is creating that connection with your dog and that bond so they can look at you specifically for information. Now, another question, and this would be the last one, how do I reduce puppy biting? Um, okay. There are a lot Wait, of, you um, stick their finger in, in, in their yeah, mouth exactly. Just let them bite your finger. <laughs> we got to pull that video for this. Uh, when brick the first time, is that the only time that you've really seen brick? That Have was you seen like brick the, since? I've only seen him through videos and pictures, but. Oh, you got to see this. He's very different. <laughs> Brick is I mean, that in every aspect of different. Little-ish puppy, because now he's very long. He just got, he didn't grow up. He went this way. Like, I don't understand. And he's still she doing it. He's not getting taller. This, by the way. So mm -mm. I thought I got a pit bull puppy. That's what I thought. I thought I got a pit mix. <laughs> I got a pit chihuahua weenie dog mix. <laughs> Yeah, so if I, that's what I did when he was teething and he was like, his little teeth were growing. I just let him chew my finger. That was like our first interaction. No, with you didn't other. let him chew your finger. You stuck your finger inside of his mouth. He wasn't trying that. to chew your finger. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> but you, I can't be the only person who thinks that's cute. Like I can't be, but I try to hold I mean, myself and not do that. Comment below if you think uh, <laughs> getting chewed on by a puppy is cute. Well, you know, we all have our, our issues. <laughs> the first thing that you want to do to reduce puppy biting is never let them meet Andrea. That is the first thing. I enforce puppy biting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, probably not. Let them Something, we'll get a shirt that says that for you. Um, a lot of trainers um, will, it's like kind of a controversial topic in the training world. Because some trainers think, and I am one of these trainers that think that when puppies get really mouthy, 
most of the time they need a nap. Like they're getting frustrated. They're getting, um, you know, overworked to over, you know, kind of like a two-year-old who's throwing a tantrum right now. Other trainers are saying, you know, your puppy is not a human. It's not the same thing, but puppies do require 18 to 20 hours of sleep every, every day. So every 24 hour period, 18 to 20 of those hours should be spent sleeping. If most, most puppies are not getting that much sleep, they just aren't. So they, they get annoyed, they get tired, they get to a place where they're just kind of mentally gone. Um, a lot of puppies have like, they call it the witching hour at like eight or nine o'clock. They just go ham and they just start mouthing everything and like just really, no, they're not aggressively biting, but they're getting really rough at night. And most of the time that's because they're tired and they actually need to go to bed. Um, but that's really common amongst, uh, amongst puppies in general is around eight or nine or 10 every night. They just go crazy. Um, now, don't get me wrong. When it happens, you don't just take your puppy and like put him in the crate. You do want to address that. And I use that with, um, I normally address a puppy mouthing with either pressure and release with a slip lead or pressure and release by grabbing their collar and just creating a little, like a little bit of pressure when their mouth is on me. Um, and then releasing pressure when their mouth is off of me. The key thing here though, is that when, oh, let me see if I can do this without knocking my microphone over. When, if this is puppy's mouth, if this is your hand, when your hand is in their mouth, you do not want to pull it away because the second you pull it away, it becomes a game. So you're really going to just take this hand. And then if I had three hands, this really would work. Um, but while your, the, your hand is in your puppy's mouth, your other hand is going to go and reach up on the leash or on the collar and create pressure so that your, your puppy's mouth, they, they remove their mouth from your hand. You don't remove your hand from their mouth, not, or you don't put your hand inside their mouth in the first place. <laughs> and to put them to bed, you know, for you to create that. Um, that barking is not coming from the center. That's coming from Andrea's house. That's true. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but for you to create that bedtime routine, that's where the, the crate is really essential because they you, you know, how are you really going to enforce that if you're just laying them on the couch or you're laying them on the bed, they're not going to stay there in the, unless you're tethering them and you don't want to tether them while they take a nap. Yeah. So if, especially if you want to not be in the room. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing that you, you really want to do is enforce that bedtime routine by using the crate yeah. and the crate is going to be your best friend in this case. And one of the things that Millie talks about all the time is also setting up a bedtime that that's their bedtime. So when mm -hmm. you have that alarm clock go, go off, you are letting them know this is your bedtime time to go to bed. It, it doesn't have to be your bedtime, but it, no, can be it shouldn't their be bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did that one time where I was like, okay, well their bedtime is going to be my bedtime. And then there was one time I got home from work and I was exhausted <clears throat> at like yeah. nine o'clock instead of 11 o'clock. Right. And I was like, well, now my dogs are used to staying up for two more hours. So you want to make it where it's a little bit earlier than your bedtime. So your dogs are, are used to going to bed earlier than you are. Exactly. And for, for nap time, you know, you talk a lot about when you want your dog to take a nap that you are actually, you know, putting them in the crate, closing the door. You can have tons of things going on around them and that mm -hmm. they're going to associate that time also, okay, I need to chill out. This is my time to take a nap. You don't have to, 
make sure there's nothing going on around them while they're in the crate. You just have to make sure that they associate the crate with a safe, comfortable place to be without excitement. Right. And it's harder to do. It's, it's harder for them to associate that. If you are having everybody who comes into your house, whisper when your puppy's in the crate. So you want to make it like act normal, you know, don't whisper, don't, um, kind of tiptoe around your house. You want to just you don't want to like throw a party every time your dog goes in the crate, but you want to just treat it like life is normal so that they learn to be able to turn their brains off when they're in the crate and be in this own little, their own little bubble and, and not have whatever's going on outside of the crate affect them. Yeah. And one thing before we, we move forward into, you know, finalizing the podcast is when that you sounds are really finalizing the podcast. <laughs> It sounds intense. Okay. I don't know what that's going to look like, but everyone get ready. The podcast. <laughs> we are, when you are introducing the crate to your puppy, I just want to hit on this too, is that when they cry in the crate or they whine, or you're just going to let them do that. Right. And eventually they're going to catch on. They're going to be able to realize, okay, this is my nap time. And you talk a lot about not adding excitement when they're going to the crate. So when you put them in the crate, it's just, that's their reward is learning that the crate is a safe place to be. And you don't necessarily need to throw a toy in there or throw a treat in there or just You can it. for the crate. Um, you don't have to. I think if, if we're talking about puppies, I do think, especially when they're teething, some sort of teething toy in the crate is going to be helpful for them. Um, but have that be something that's only available to them in the crate. Like I kind of like a different special toy that they only get when they're in the crate. Um, and I do think puppies when they're teething, they, I mean, it has to hurt. So it probably (laughs) is nice to have something to chew on. And you probably want that to be a dog toy that's meant to be chewed on rather than like their bed or a blanket or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, you don't have to give anything. I mean, the reward is just going in there and being able to turn their brain off, having to not have to do with anything out, outside of the crate. Right. Awesome. So I feel like we hit a lot of topics today and we're going to keep doing these this way virtually. So next time around, um, hopefully we're going to be able to have some guests and we'll be able to, to get that going. Is this finalizing? <laughs> this is, this finalizing. is finalizing. Okay. When okay. you hear me say, I guess we hit a lot today. Like, <laughs> I guess we covered a lot. I guess that's like the cue. Cause I've been saying that a lot lately, like in every podcast, I guess we covered a lot today. I think you should just go podcast finalizing, <laughs> finalizing. And, and then that'll be, two. yeah. Uh, so follow us on Instagram because when we start adding people on, when we do different things with the podcast that you'll be notified through Instagram and also, uh, we'll be able to drop off, drop your questions in there, um, send a request to be part of a virtual consultation through the podcast. So those things can go through the Instagram and it can go through our email as well. Do you want to add anything else, Millie? Mm-mm. Nope. All right. So this officially was our first podcast recorded virtually. So thank you for joining us. And if you have any feedback, please let us know. Please feel free to email us. Let us know how it sounded in your end. Yes, please let us know. Awesome. And don't forget. I kind of want to change the thing to podcast finalized. Like that's now my (laughs) sign off. So don't forget podcast finalized. Finalized. All right. Until next time. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Think Like a Dog Podcast and follow at Mirror Image Canine for training tips. If you have any questions, please reach out to us via email at info at thinklikeadogpodcast.com.